Today on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast, a classic conversation we had with Howie Mandel. It looks like Ed is working a drive-thru at the same time as he's doing this. uh... (laughs) Well, that's true. I actually... Hold on, lady! Is this a new new system that you just put on for today? Because this system... It hasn't been the same since Radio Shack Club. (laughs) I don't think there's anybody alive in the human race that at some point in their life is not going to need a coping skill. You don't have to have OCD. You just have to be human. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome, my friends, to the show that never ends. It's the Mental Health Comedy Podcast with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer coming up shortly. This is the show where we talk about mental health and we practice skills. We never do nothing nice and easy. We always do it nice and rough. And it's very similar to the song Proud Mary. And that's how we do it. Right here. Now, on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about emotional regulation. And we're going to talk about a really unique way of practicing that. Actually practicing it while watching your favorite shows and movies. Now, I laugh at that, but it's actually really cool, and that's coming up. We're going to talk with Jennifer about that, and we always like to uh, have—we like to welcome people, no matter what emotional state they're in. Here are emotional shout-outs. If you think the Delta variant is a college fraternity, welcome. If you're planning to exercise but wait until tomorrow when it will be more convenient, welcome. If you didn't know how to use Audible and ended up with three books on death and dying, welcome. If you have Xanax and a Pez dispenser to attend a pool party, welcome. If you have no reaction to any ride at a theme park because you've been screaming inside for two years, welcome. If you actually believe that you can win an iPad by filling out a survey, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now, here are some statistics uh, by the Mental Health Comedy data team, the data team. It's our analytics group. 90% of all people spend 98.6% of their lives thinking about the past and worrying about the future. 5% are in denial, and the other 5% believe that the real housewives are real housewives. Today's show is uh, brought to you by Therator. Therator is the new guided mental vacation app. Therator helps you get away from it all while staying right where you are. These are short one, two, or five minute mental vacations that you take, visually or audio only. You have other voices that guide you about wonderful people, places, and things that you can go to in the moment, or you can program your own voice. And Therator provides playful distractions so you can learn to let it all go when distracting thoughts enter the picture. You're on a beautiful sandy beach looking into a beautiful ocean, soaking in the sun and the sea, and there's a guy who looks just like your landlord, and you owe him money. Not now, though, because now you're on a sandy beach, happy and breezy. No man or woman is an island, but you can go to one anytime with Therator. Two quick things. One is, I don't know about you, but the thing that always sort of, you know, gets in my way 
and causes me a lot of frustration is when I'm thinking about the future or living in the past. And I do that a lot, especially when I'm stressed out about something. I find that my thoughts snowball about what I don't want to have happen in the future, horror, horror thoughts, like a horror movie, like a movie trailer, and then thinking about the past and things that didn't work out. So I realize that what's really bothering me is that I'm thinking about the future or the past, not the situation itself, which is rarely, rarely matches up with the horrors that I think in my head. The other thing is that we feel, we, me, I feel like I have to do everything perfectly. If I use a skill, if I use a practice, if I exercise, whatever I do, uh, I have to do it perfectly, and it keeps me from doing it. So I just wanted to share those two little things that have made my life a living hell. It's time once again for my partner, who is known as the High Priestess of Brain Hacks, the soothsayer of self-care, the ninja of the neocortex, Jennifer Kalari. And Jennifer, uh, how's everything going? And where are you at emotionally right now? Well, I, so I just there's more names for me every week. It's it's just I look forward to I look forward we're, to that. We're going to do a whole book. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. No, I'm doing really well. I'm actually okay. I'm slowing down a little bit for the summer. I've um, taken a bit of time off, and I'm just trying to reconnect and recoup and spend time with family. And so I'm I'm in a pretty good place. Well, that's great. That actually sounds great. Your energy is always really good. Why is that? <laughs> Well, you know what? I practice what I preach. Honestly, I'm not kidding. So I really, every single exercise that I talk about, I am constantly doing that work in my own head. Um, and it makes a huge difference. It makes it makes things so much easier. You can enjoy life so much more when you have a bunch of tools at your disposal. Um, and I really, you know, I want people to know that you can control your emotions instead of your emotions controlling you. You really can. Well, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, I think emotional regulation, self-regulation is, a, is like a big thing for people. And when I say people, I mean me. Uh, I'm doing this for a friend. It's a, big, mm -hmm. it's a big issue. And I actually have a question that's come in um, from a listener. And this is Annie. Um, I'm not going to give out her, uh, her handle here, but it, her name is Annie. And she asks, hi, Jennifer and Ed, I am, um, I find that since the pandemic, I, my emotions are way out of whack and I'm having a lot of trouble like regulating and it's everything from like, it's everything from tears to fears. What, how can I, I've never really been somebody who, who uh, regulates. How do I start? That's a really good question. Okay. So first of all, I always start with like a big answer and then I kind of bring it down to something tangible that we can use. So the the big answer, and we've talked about this a lot before, Ed, is we, we live in a culture where we've never been taught that we can control our emotions. We've been really taught to fear them, avoid them, or placate them. Right. So, mm -hmm. and, and if you, you can even see it playing out with parenting even now. And, uh, you know, as a kid, as the child's crying, the child's having a hard time, we buy them something or we give, shove an iPad in their face or we immediately fix it. We immediately solve the problem. You know, we reach for our phones, we reach for a glass of wine, we, we do everything we can 
to dull the emotion. But as we've said many times, emotions will, they want to be heard. That's just, it's information and it will keep coming back and it will keep coming back louder and louder until you listen. So even if you're managing to stuff stuff the stuff down, it will come back up. And it's a skill. It is a practice. It is a, it is a, it's a way of life really. Like you would not go to the gym, do two sit-ups and go, oh, why don't I have abs? Right. It, it's something that you have to commit to and do every single day. And you usually start with something smaller, something that you can actually manage. So I want to give a couple of strategies that that might help here for Annie. Her name is Annie. Yes. Um, OK, so I and this sounds so crazy, but we really do use um, the hardware in the brain. We use we use the. The neurological. um Sorry, I'm blanking. <laughs> what word do I want to use? I never blank, Ed. This is crazy. That's we'll fantastic. To, like, I love it. Machinery. Love it. Let's talk about machinery or, okay, or equipment, right? That okay. actually helps us manage every day. And you've got to practice. First, you have to know that it's there, and then you have to practice. So, what I suggest is practicing resilience with books, with uh, movies, with TV shows you're watching. Forget about real life. Watch a show, right? And when the show gets really intense and the music's going and it gets crazy, practice centering yourself, changing your breath, calming down, bringing yourself back into the moment, telling yourself that it's just a movie and practice that. That Just start there. Start Or start, you know, if you're having a conversation with a friend and they're telling you a really intense thing that's happening in their life and you can feel your heart racing, you can feel yourself joining with them around what's happening Take a second in your own mind, change your breath, drop your tongue in the bottom of your, uh, at the bottom of your teeth, relax your shoulders, calm yourself down and practice doing that over and over. When your child is telling you something, practice it first, um, not in real life and watch what happens. You'll build resilience. So this is the thing about a lot of, a lot of mental health skills. The best time to practice it is when you're not in crisis. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, and people usually wait, right? You wait until you're in crisis, and then it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? And then you have to relieve the crisis. The time yeah. to do these things. And, you know, I think what stops me from doing it, Annie, I'm going to speak directly to Annie now, is um, uh, what stops me from doing it is efforting. I feel I'm worried that it's a big effort to mm-hmm. do these things. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is every time you get in your head that it's an effort to do this, I don't have time to do it, how much of an effort is it to actually not express your feelings? Yeah. How much is an e- of an effort is, is it to depress what you're thinking or feeling or to resist what you're thinking or feeling? Mm-hmm. How much of an effort is it to do that? And what happens is we've become used to doing that. That is the way most people live. Mm-hmm. They resist what they feel and they worry about what they think. And so that is really hard work. But we think it's actually, because it's so familiar, we think it's actually the way to go. Right. And the, I mean, the brain likes things that are familiar. It just wants to do what's familiar and it wants to do what it thinks you want, no matter how miserable you are. If you use it over and over again, your brain thinks, oh, well, this is how he wants it or this is how she wants it. So the truth is that there's so much effort put into not doing it, like so much more effort into not doing it. 
And that's the truth. And it, it really has to be a commitment that, that you make. So that's the way kind of neural pathways work in the brain. It's use it or lose it. And your brain just uses what's, what it's already been using. So if you imagine you want to go on a beautiful picnic, okay, and there's a beautiful um, open area where there's a gorgeous view and, and you walk into the forest and there's a path that's already there and it's well used and you can see where you're going and there's no branches in your face. It's much longer and it doesn't even take you to as nice a place. But that's what we do all the time, right? We take that easy path that's already made. But what you can do with your own brain is you can make your own path. So, so there's a better way. There's a shorter way, but you have to hack through that uh, forest first. It's a little dense. There's branches in your face. You're chopping. You're pressing down the, you know, the leaves and the branches with your feet. But eventually, you're going to have a shorter, better path to a better place. But you have to be the one that's hacking that path. And that does sound like effort, but honestly, um, not doing it and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the, um, the frustration that you can feel by not doing it that way, it's, it's not worth it. It's kind of a game. You think about it in terms of gamifying it. It's kind mm -hmm. of a game. It's like playing a game. Mm -hmm. So it could be something that's actually a relief to you. It could be something that's a relief to you. You know, w watch your favorite show, watch, you know, binge, watch something. You do get lost in it, but just notice the emotions and give yourself messages, even if it's just breathing, even if it's just a few minutes, a few seconds of conscious breathing, it'll, it'll start to lay that foundation, lay that path, that new path that uh, Jennifer's talking about. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really interesting. I don't know if people do it with horror movies so much. I don't know about uh, that. Maybe maybe that could be something you work up to. I don't know. but Maybe you work up to that because you don't want to see Friday the 13th Part no. 7. You don't, want, you don't want to be yelling at those kids not to go in the cemetery. <laughs> and then you're, you know, you're thinking, but everything's fine. Don't go in there because everything's fine. Right. Um, everything's not fine. You're going to get your head chopped off. You don't want to <laughs> do that, right? right? And you don't want to be like, go in there so I can practice. Right. Uh, no, you can really just do it with simple things that you're already doing, just just information that, that you're hearing every day. And you can also use your imagination. You can sort of imagine a scenario where your mother-in-law yells at you or something goes the way that you don't want. And then imagine yourself, see yourself handling it in a really balanced way that you feel good about. Imagine yourself using all of the strategies and walking away going, you know what, I, I held on to myself there. I didn't get too upset. That was great. The, the midbrain doesn't know that happened or didn't happen. It doesn't know if it's, an, if it's a memory or something that's actually happening to you. And because it likes familiarity, the more you practice yourself doing it the way you'd actually like to do it, the more your brain thinks, oh, well, I've done that, so I can keep doing that. I want to bring in our guest and play a conversation, a classic conversation that we had with my first boss. It was on a sketch show. Uh, that that he did, and he is a huge mental health advocate and has been for many years. Great comedian, actor, entrepreneur, and a judge on the hit show America's Got Talent. Let's join our conversation with Howie Mandel, already in progress. Do you Thanks. do that electronically, great, great. or is this something you? Because I, I do that too, but that's from being married for forty years. My wife is talking about that. I understand. Terry trained you well. She trained you yeah, well. Don't worry. I'm going to mute myself. You just go about your life. 
<laughs> I mean, what a great technique that is for a successful marriage. You know, Howie, I have to say, first of all, thank you for, for doing this. And secondly, you talk a lot about mental health. I know that you have things that you do that you're very conscious about taking care of your own mental health. And I guess I want to ask, I don't know if you've ever shared this or if you're okay sharing it, but what works for you? Are there things that actually, that you do that actually work for you? And how do you approach that? Because people listen. Well, you know, I'm always uh, a little bit trepidatious about talking about work, what works for me. And I'll tell you something. Listen, I am, uh, my soapbox is mental health. You know, I'm uh, fascinated how, uh, at how much in myself perpetuated this for many decades, how much of a stigma mental health is. And I believe that mental health trumps physical health, you know, has power over its mind over matter. I've been very open about, you know, I, I suffer from anxiety, depression, OCD. I have like everything. But I don't think that there's a human alive that doesn't, or a human that doesn't have issues. Being able to cope with those issues and learning life skills and coping skills are what we all need. And what happens is when I talk about, you know, being a, a germaphobe or having OCD, a germaphobe is, is not an issue. A germaphobe is just one of my little side effects of my, uh, my OCD. But the truth of the matter is that I'm a proponent of kind of acknowledging that you need help and you need to do something for yourself. And what works for me may not work for you. And, you know, I'm medicated. I won't talk about specifically what medications I'm on. But along with medication, I exercise. And I don't exercise to stay in shape physically. I exercise to try to stay in shape mentally. I think the biggest thing that I will share is uh, distraction. My biggest distraction usually falls in the way of comedy. It was not considered comedy when I was in, in school. I wasn't able to finish school. I guess they got distracted and didn't finish my education. Distraction has been the biggest thing. And I, and I believe that ultimately, aside from medications, everything we do is somewhat of a distraction for our mental health. And whether that's meditating or breathing or you know going and playing a game or distracting yourself with, you know, something outside in conversations. I think the biggest issue and the biggest panacea for me is the ability to talk about it and not be embarrassed about it. And I say to everybody, if anything is getting you and, and kind of inhibiting you from moving along, you really have to talk. You really have to just speak to somebody. You've got to talk, to, and it, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member. And, and I'll tell you something I, I've found now as being a proponent for this, and Ed, I don't know if you know, in Canada, I work with uh, Bell Media. They do a campaign that's called Let's, Let's Talk. And the reason I joined it is because I believe that that's what we need to do, and it's great that you're doing this. And that's what you do with a therapist. And that's what you, you know, ultimately it always starts with talking. And I think that talking will not only help you, but it helps other people around kind of remove the stigma. The more we talk about it, you know, we talk about our dental health and we go check our dental health, regardless of having a pain or anything. You go, look, mom, no cavities, nothing's wrong. You went and got checked, but we don't take care of our mental health the way we take. And it's not even part of, of our, our curriculum from the time where we're young, you know, people aren't there for us at the minute we start school at five years old, there's nobody really in place to ask questions, to look at, you know, if there's any flags that go up. But we all go through shit in life that we need help for, you know, and whether that is, you know, maintaining a relationship 
coping skill with having to get along not only with yourself but others, maybe cohabitate. Being a parent is a huge pressure. Being diagnosed with something or having a loved one, you know, have a critical illness, how do you cope with that and still be a productive member of society and we're, we're supposed to just go to work and do our job but maybe a loved one is dying at home how do we deal with a pandemic you know this is a world pandemic where we're all you need to talk about it you need to do it maybe you don't need to be medicated maybe you just need to find out that there's other people feeling exactly like you feel maybe that will be your lifesaver but everything in life needs you know we're not really trained for you know life and yes. it throws shit at us. And everybody just kind of, you know, it's funny. If you had a bad back, if you're at work and you had a bad back, everybody, they say, well, you know, I want to move my desk over here. And they go, I can't help you. I got a bad back. And then you're inundated with, you know, two dozen cards from everybody's chiropractor. But if, you, if somebody said, we need to get this project done, and you said, right now, I can't, I, I'm being honest with you. I just can't, I can't do it. I don't, I, I, I'm just uh, so down and I can't function and uh, I just need a moment or I need to take off and I need to go to see a psychiatrist. That would probably not be taken as lightly as, you know, I got to go to my dentist or I got to go do something well, else. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show and we're trying to get to, get to here is mental health is a big topic, but it is not a practice. And people talk about it but nobody realizes that you actually have to do something and make choices about your thoughts and feelings. That's one way to take care of mental health. You talk about distraction, and I'm wondering what goes on in your head where you say to yourself, I need to distract now, or I know that this is a time for distraction, or do you even look at it like that? I have such fear of falling into the wormhole that whatever I've been diagnosed with causes, that I'm constantly distracting even when I feel good so because I have fear of falling into that wormhole. You know, for me personally, you know, I have OCD and people uh, will come up to me constantly and go, you know, I got a little bit of that too. Well, you don't have a little bit of that. If somebody has cancer, somebody doesn't come up to you, you know, I got a touch of the cancer thing too, you know, so I know what you're going <laughs> You know, the, the thing is, OCD is a really specifically diagnosable, maybe uh, chemical, I, I don't know that they know specifically that there are experiments that say it's, you know, phys much more physiological than other people. I, I think it is. But, you know, to explain it to maybe a listener from uh, a guy who suffers it, you know, people know that I don't shake hands because I'm a, a germaphobe. And the, the truth of the matter is, I probably can shake your hand. And when we worked together, I was shaking hands when we were on, yes. on yes. the show. Uh, but yes. what happens is, just like anybody else, if you shake somebody's hand and their hand is kind of clammy or icky, or you, you know, if somebody walked across the room and you saw them sneeze and they covered their mouth, and they did, you would think, yuck, you know, and you extend your hand, then you could probably go and, and wash your hand. And so would I. But I'd go, oh, my God, that was terrible. And, and I'd go wash my hand. And I'd, I'd wash my hand and then I'd turn off the water and walk out of the bathroom. And then I'd go, no, nah, that was, a, I probably should have used hot water. I probably didn't get it all. I'd go back in and i do scalding water and wash it again and then turn off the sink and go out and I'd go, you know what? I should have, I probably didn't get it all. And then I'd go back in and then, and then I'd wash again. And I'm literally stuck in a loop. And sometimes if I get caught in that, I've been known and whether it was, a ritual I had to do, or washing my hands, or checking a door, I promise you, Ed, I've been stuck three, four hours, and intellectually, I know 
you know, this is crazy. I checked the door. I checked the door. I checked the door. How many times do I have to check? And I can't pull myself away from it. And I miss a meeting and my life just stops. Now, I don't have any different thought than anybody else. Maybe I should check the door. Maybe I didn't lock it. I better wash my hands because maybe I didn't get it clean. If I'm triggered, then I just continue. And that can continue. That doesn't even have to be an action. That, can, that could be a, a crazy dark thought that goes through my head and that, that just keeps repeating. It's like a, a skipping record that I can't stop. I just try to stay really distracted so I don't get caught in any of that stuff. Do you know when you're triggered? Do you say, oh, here's the trigger now. Here it comes. No, I can only tell you I, can only tell you I have been triggered. I can't tell okay. you, I have a fear of, you know, for me, it's like when somebody extends their hand, I go, that could be a trick. I probably could shake 200 hands before I would be triggered, but I don't know when that is. So the fear is that I just, so I don't shake anybody's hand. But now we live in a time where literally you have these thoughts about it and now it's happening. So it's now not we have- really, Not really, because the truth is this is real. And this yeah. is a pandemic and you can really get sick. My thoughts, you know, the, the, the biggest conflict that I have internally is when it makes no sense. And I understand intellectually that it makes no sense, yet I can't stop myself from, I could say it makes no sense, but I'm so bothered by it. I've had the family, we've been going on vacation and we've been late for a flight. We've been in a car and my daughter crossed her legs and the bottom of her shoe hit my pants. I made them turn the car around and I had to go home and change my pants and we had to miss a flight. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. There's no, and I knew it and I knew it, but I couldn't stop myself. And this is before I, I you know, it got to a point in, in my life where, you know, I got saved by my wife who said, you know, I can't take this anymore. You know, and as my therapist and psychiatrist told me, you know, you have to live in their world. You have to figure out how to live in, in the world. Nobody has to change the world so that it's comfortable for you. The only thing you can control is yourself and your try to control your mind. You know, that's the only, you can't control other people. And if you spend your life trying to control other, you're just going to, it just doesn't work. Okay. So my fellow Canadian on the show, now Jennifer works a lot with rewiring the brain, brain hacks, also therapy, kids, family, everybody. We talk a lot on the show about different things that you can do. That's one of the things that I love so much about her is that she talks about things to do. Jennifer, when you're listening to Howie talk, what's going through your mind? Howie's so right. When people come up and they, oh, I have OCD. And people do that all the time. I have OCD because I like things being tidy. There's a difference between having an obsessive personality which is I can stand it if the picture's crooked. It's not going to ruin my day. I'm not going to be stuck in a two-hour loop over it. It'll bug me, but I can walk away from it. And it being what's called egodystonic, and that's what Howie's describing. It's like half of him is going, this is ridiculous. I want to be free from this. I'm exhausted. And his brain is still telling him to do it. And that's the piece that's, that's really hard. It can take different forms, and then you can be obsessed about one thing, and then it shifts to something else. That's why you can never know exactly what works at a given time. The hardest part about this is, is the loop that the brain gets in. And your anxiety, when it's doing this to you, it loves you. This is the part that's so weird. Like it thinks it's saving you. Telling somebody, stop washing your hands, it's enough, is like being in a movie theater and it's on fire and somebody's holding the door shut and you can't get out and the security guard going, just breathe. You'll be fine. It's okay. You're just taking... Do some deep breathing, picture yourself on a beach. Like, are you kidding me? I'm in a burning building. 
that's the part that's really hard. I get that's what I always done such a good job at describing. There's so many people who deal with this. So when I work with kids that have this, there'll be a few strategies that I'll teach them. But the biggest one is learning to stop one when it starts, right? So before it becomes an ingrained uh, ritual, that's when you have the best chance to disturb it, to uh, you know avoid it, to distract yourself and move on. But it, it's tough and it's, it's painful to be a parent of a child that's struggling with this. I think it, it's a form of anxiety, which we talk about all the time. And, you know, usually people who are really creative and how you're certainly very creative, you've got a, you've got an incredible mind and your mind will work for you in, in magnificent ways, but it'll work against you in enormous ways, right? It, it casts it an equal and opposite shadow. She's right. But the thing is, like, even on this show, if you're just talking about OCD, OCD is, uh, you know, I don't know what the stats are, but how many people have it. But I ended up becoming an advocate for just speaking of, I don't think there's anybody alive in the human race that at some point in their life is not going to need a coping skill. You don't have to have OCD. You just have to be human. And, you know, whether it's the breakup of a relationship, whether it's like in in these times right now, the strife that people are dealing with in their mind, how do you cope with this? But I'm using the tools that I use for coping with my OCD. I find that some of those same tools work for this. You know, I don't think anybody in the world is waking up each and every day feeling incredibly productive and cheerful. No, you know what the, the thing too is that anxiety itself gets a really bad rap. Everyone talks about anxiety being this terrible, bad thing. It's, it's essential anxiety. If you don't have anxiety, you're going to walk across the street and go, oh, the cars are going to wait. You have to have a certain amount of anxiety to be normal and to function and to feel good, right? It's a very important emotion. But one of the things we've done in our culture, and I think our culture is really bad at this, is we raise our children. We, we all sort of approach it the same way, that emotions are bad. Anxiety is bad. Sadness is bad. Everything's bad. So don't feel it. And the more you ignore an emotion, there's a built-in response for it to come back louder, harder, stronger. If you're standing in front of a tiger that's going to jump on you, your brain does not want you to look somewhere else. It wants you to stare at the tiger because it could jump on you. If you pretend that something's not afraid, if you distract yourself to the point where you don't think about it, your anxiety will keep knocking on the door and it knocks harder and it knocks louder. And so we have a whole generation and there's lots of reasons to be anxious right now with what's going on in the world. But... Tommy's right. We don't teach kids how to manage anxiety, how to recognize it. When I work with kids, I tell them that anxiety is like a big dog. It's like this lovely dog that just loves you and it wants to keep you safe. Because when we talk about getting rid of anxiety, people panic. And the anxiety goes, are you crazy? You can't get rid of me. If you get rid of me, you're going to die. If you get rid of me, things are going to go a lot worse. Don't use those strategies. Don't do anything that's going to get rid of me. So I teach kids the dog. We love the dog. We want to train the dog. We want the dog to sit in his dog bed, let you have a nice life, and then come out when you need it, not when you don't need it. And that's the loop sometimes with OCD, for sure, is that it just keeps trying to save you over and over and over and over again. And it's exhausting. Right. And, you know, you guys are talking about, like, mental health. But the word mental, even mental, you know, illness, there's a stigma. Uh, just the word mental. Physical illness is not, is not an issue. You say to somebody, I got the flu. You know, or I, I got to stay home for three days. But if you say I'm just mentally ill right now, I'm just not feeling well mentally, that stigma that attaches itself. And it's all, I think, for the most part, really manageable. 
if you're willing to do what it takes to manage it. And it's not that easy. And it's not that easy to find where the management is. As I said, talk to somebody. You talk to somebody who may give you the reason why it is a stigma, who may look at you a little like you're loony, you know, because they don't believe in that. And they just, oh, you know, it's kind of like people who are afraid of flying. Just don't think about it. Don't think about it. I'm up here at 35,000 feet. That's like being in the, in, the burning, in the burning theater she just brought up. But they don't really understand. You just got to keep mentioning it to enough people who do understand. It's kind of like how I work in, in life. I always tell people, people are very quick to point out problems. You know why we can't do that? This is going to happen. Well, I always say, well, I don't want to hear. So if you're going to come to me with why we can't do it because this is going to happen, don't tell me that. Just tell me what you're going to do and how you're going to make it happen. And that's a great kind of template that I use in life. You know, things are tough and things are hard, but you can fix it or you can cope with it. I don't always know the answers, but I'll keep throwing that lifesaver out there until somebody grabs onto it that can give me an answer. That's probably one of the best strategies anyone could use. Why do you spend all your mental energy thinking about what you don't want? Thinking about what's wrong or what isn't gonna work. Just take that energy, think about it a little bit, because you have to, and then take that energy and focus on what is working, what feels good, right? And it sounds- Well, like I always say that you know thinking is not good. I, I believe that we are, and when people even talk about success and productivity, the truth of the matter is that I think us as a species, we have amazing instinct. If we act like some of us do, but very few do, on instinct, we will probably be better off. And, and how many people go through life when they go, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, why didn't I, how stupid was that? My thought is, and it happened to be a, a result of some of the things that I've been diagnosed with is, I don't think of ramifications, so I just jump at things, which can be, and it's caused me some issues, but it's also gotten me more, it's done more for me positively than negatively. But I, I always think that if you just do it, if you just live, if you just jump, even if it's to therapy, you just do it, just go do it. Just don't think about it because you can always talk yourself out of not doing it. There's a million reasons why. And if you want to just take it as even my career as a a young guy growing up in the in in your town i didn't know anybody in show business i was engaged to be married why would you think that you're going to go make a living you're going to move 3000 miles away to a place where you don't know anybody and have no connections and try to provide for a family and grow and have success by putting a rubber glove on your head for those that don't know that's how that was my I first i remember day. seeing you in yorkville with yeah. love on your head. And it's yeah, so that's, but it was ridiculous when you think about it. If I would have thought about it, but to that end, and I'm not talking about my career, I always feel like the worst moments of my life is when I let my mind kind of wander on its own. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just got to just do it. And the activity of doing it and moving forward with my life is my distraction from where my mind, if it sits still, goes. And now more than ever, with this pandemic going on, is forcing people to be a little more still than they would normally be. So more people are in touch in a kind of in a bad way with their mental health fragility because they were so distracted by going to an office every day and working every day and picking the kids up and going to soccer games and doing that. And now when you sit at home, you're going, oh, yeah, this is I'm getting into a depression. And, but it's really a byproduct of not doing, that's where your mind goes if you let it go. Everybody will go into a dark place. It's just human nature.
and it's acknowledging, it's being conscious about what's going on. If you can be aware, if you can say to yourself, I'm thinking a lot right now. Oh, I noticed that that thought came in, or I noticed this, or I noticed that. If you can say what's going on, then all of a sudden, it gives you a little bit of pause so that you don't get attacked by the train, the bullet train. And so one of the things I remember about you, Howie, is you were telling me this story about one of your first specials that you taped, and something happened, and you had a choice to make. And the choice was to acknowledge something or not acknowledge yep. it. So can yeah. you mention that? Because I think it's a great story. It, it is about not thinking in the moment. Part of the neurosis of being a comedian, and I've spoken to other comedians about it, including Ed, myself, you know, I was doing, uh, if, if, and this goes for everybody, if you're doing a show and, uh, you know, seven to 10,000 people are roaring and laughing, but there's one guy up front who's not making any eye contact, and not smiling, it becomes your whole mind. As every comic does that, like, what the hell is wrong with this one guy? It's not good enough that 6,999 people are just loving you, but if you could focus on the one negative, the one guy, and what happened is I ended up in the moment, and this is how I think, in the moment without any thought, saying, why the hell is this guy not, he's not even looking at me, he doesn't seem to be paying attention to me, and the woman sitting next to him goes, he's blind. He was in the front row. He's blind. And I went, he's blind? And then, you, you know, I had stopped the whole show and you could feel like a collective, 7,000 people, a collective gasp of, oh, shit. He just dug himself, you know, a very dark hole. Had I thought about this, I probably wouldn't say it. But because I didn't think about it, I just went, why the fuck would you spend money to buy a blind man a front row ticket when you know you probably could have saved 30 bucks put him in the balcony and lied to him and told him he was in the front row i had lost the audience for a second when i said he's blind because i went what the fuck is this he's not even looking at me when i did that line without thinking i won them back you know but the truth is maybe that is a good template for had I really thought, I probably wouldn't have done that line. I probably wouldn't have done that. But that became the highlight. It could have, could have gone the other way, too. <laughs> you know, it could have gone very bad. But most things in my life have been that knee-jerk reaction to go, you want to get on stage? You know, it was a dare. I got on stage at Yuck Yucks. I didn't show up there to be a comedian. And then when I did that, I had a place to go. And, it was, and then somebody said, when I was in Los Angeles, you want to try to get on I wasn't here for comedy you want to get on stage at the comedy store? And I got on stage at the comedy store and there happened to be a, a producer there from a comedy game show who said, do you want to be on? And I did that comedy game show and I flew back to Toronto. And then I started getting calls from Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin. And, you know, I've noticed that, and this was before I was open about whatever issues, you know, I, I had a, a, in my own mind, a rough childhood. I have a very loving, supportive family. It was wonderful. But growing up in the 60s, when you have these mental health issues, you know, you don't talk to your mom about it and everybody was just accepting of it. And I don't have a GED and I went to three different high schools and didn't finish any of them. That was kind of a sore spot for me because I didn't have the ability to sit. I can't sit for any length of time and focus. If somebody had diagnosed me, if they had let me just, just the, the ability to stand up in the class or maybe just pace the back of the class, I could have stayed in school and probably excelled. It's how I take things in. And I also take things in audibly rather than visually. 
So reading was a little harder for me than listening to something and comprehending. What I learned is we're all different. One size doesn't fit all in life. That's why I say that whatever you, it takes for you to, as Ed kind of pointed out, acknowledge that there is an issue. That's first and foremost with any issue that anybody has. Acknowledge you're, you're a human being and you may need help and you may need some coping skills. And those coping skills could be as little as I get mad really easily. You know, I have a, a sharp temper. Here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to, from now on, I'm not going to respond when I'm angry. I'm always going to wait. I'm going to count to 10. I'm just going to breathe. Maybe that, that that's not, you know, I'm not advocating for that, but that can be a tool. Sure. And the thing sure. is that you always have to look for a tool. You know, if you want to fix something, you walk into a garage and you don't know what you have. Maybe I could do it with a yeah. screwdriver. You know what? I don't have a screwdriver. Maybe I can use the, the knife in the drawer. And, the, and that, oh, you know what? I just have, maybe I'll unscrew it with a quarter. I'll do it like that. You know, you just look for whatever tool you're going to need to get whatever toolbox, you need done. Right? You need a toolbox. You can't go in with one tool. But you want to have a number of different strategies. And the crazy part is anxiety itself is a bit of a beast. It's this hungry emotion that likes to be fed. And when you give into it, it gets stronger. It takes territory from you. So the more you give into it, the more it comes back and it gets you. And it, sometimes the anxiety will be like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're using that strategy again. Forget it. I don't like that strategy anymore. And it'll come back so hard on you that that strategy doesn't work anymore. So then you have a few other ones. There's a couple of things I think that are really important. And then it, it comes down to parenting a little bit. It comes down to helping kids. Right. We raise our children to avoid and be afraid of their emotions. And as parents, we're afraid of our children's emotions. Always crying, buying something. Always upset and calling his teacher. Oh, he didn't get invited to that. I mean, we'll have your own party with your cousins. There's a lot of like fixing and solving. And part of staying with your emotions is actually really important because they're just trying to tell you something. They're information. And if you ignore them, they're going to keep coming. And if you have a mind like yours, Howie, and there's so many people that are like this, the school system is also not one size fits all. For a lot of kids, sitting in school and listening to something and not being emotionally connected to what you're listening to and you know, bored out of your mind, you were probably thinking of all kinds of things and you probably have the kind of brain that just breaks things down and fractalizes and it's gone in five minutes and you're like, what happened to the time? And you've already thought about 15 other things. And there's lots of teachers who love kids and who do their best for students like that. But school is a nightmare for a lot of kids, an absolute nightmare. They're in there every day feeling stupid and feeling... Like they can't do what they need to do and they can't come home and prove to their parents that they've understood. Meanwhile, well, I, I've always said our problems in the world, the, the two solves to every world problem. And I'm talking about economy. I'm talking about racism. I'm talking about productivity. The two are mental health and education. Yeah. I think if we had a good standard of education and mental health was part of our curriculum, everything would be solved. My thanks to Howie Mandel, always to Howie Mandel. Thank you so much. And to Jennifer Kalari. Uh, if you want to find out more about Jennifer's work, you go to connectedparenting.com, connectedparenting.com. Send us a review, write to us, listen, subscribe, share. We appreciate all of it. We want to build a community here. And you can also find everything at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, makelightmedia.com. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. 
We will see you next week.